Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a day of your grace, an opportunity to gather in your house to take this journey with you to, to the cross and to the empty tomb. Lord, I ask that your words uh, would speak to our hearts and that your spirit would do what he needs to do in each of our hearts to strengthen and encourage our walk with you and strengthen us in every way to face every temptation that comes our way. In Jesus' name, amen. It certainly is a, a pleasure to be with you tonight. Uh, greetings from your brothers and sisters up at Cross and Crown in Georgetown. Uh, personally, it's fun to be back. Uh, it always is. This uh, congregation has a special spot in my heart and ministry. And those of you that uh, were here 20-some years ago, uh, thank you for being part of it. You know, recently I was, I was watching a video on uh, the training that some of the Navy SEALs do in preparation to become a Navy SEAL. I don't know if anyone here has had that training or background, uh, but just maybe in general, thank you to all our military men and women who spend that time, energy, and effort to go into training. But what really stood out to me as I was watching this video of these Navy SEALs is, is how intense that training is. And what they prepare them for, both above water and below water, but the video I was watching was more below water. And it was interesting because... Some of, the, some of the tasks they were asked to perform were so dangerous that they would have medical personnel right there if, if something went wrong. I've, I've scuba dived once, and uh, I, I was pretty much terrified the whole time. It was fun and terrorizing at the same time. But to imagine losing your air hose or being in conflict or combat with someone under the water um, and not knowing where your next breath is going to come, I just... I just really appreciated what those individuals were going through to prepare for the missions that they were sent on. Because if they, if they weren't prepared, the mission outcome certainly would be not uh, in their favor. But they prepared for, for every instance as much as they could. You know, I think modern warfare is, is a lot different than what you study even in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, where you have two very distinctly dressed armies uh, one on one side of the field and the other on the other side of the field, and you know what you're shooting at, you know who you're shooting at, you know who the enemy is, you know what the objective is. But I think in modern warfare, not only do Navy SEALs, but any military, especially over in the Middle East, where you have a, a group such as this in a village, and you don't know which one is your enemy and which one is your friend. You used to be able to see a cannon and know that that cannon's going to fire something at you, but now you don't know what's going to explode in front of you. And so as these men and women are sent into combat, their vigilance has to be intense because you don't know if the next step, the next person, the next corner you turn around is going to be your enemy. The battle that I want to engage us in tonight isn't on the fields of Afghanistan or Iraq or any other world combat field, but really in our own hearts. And that's, you know, when you think about God's direction and God's desire for us, that's really what he wants to work on. And I always marvel as I work through the Passion history of how much during that time where Jesus could have focused on himself, he focuses on you and me. So the event that we want to focus on tonight is in the Garden of Gethsemane, which seems to be one of Jesus' favorite spots, a spot maybe about 
800,000 feet, like a quarter mile outside of Jerusalem, not that far. And so what we read earlier, Jesus' prediction, what you had last week of love one another, Jesus in the upper room, to kind of set the stage in the the week of, of the Passion, you have Jesus in the upper room washing his disciples' feet, praying for them, telling them what's going to happen. He celebrates the Passover meal. In the context of that meal, he establishes a new covenant in his blood and in his body, kind of ending that old covenant relationship and the blood of the lambs and the sacrifices and all that that had been going on for centuries, year after year. Predicts Jesus, uh, Peter's denial, identifies Judas as, as the one uh, who is going to betray him. And at the end of that meal, they sung a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, the eleven and Jesus. And as Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, just like all of us, when, when we know we're going to go through something intense, perhaps you're going to the hospital for a surgery, that sort of thing, you, you want some of your friends around, or at least want them to know. You want them to pray for you. You want, uh, perhaps you have an inner core of individuals that are willing to help out with your life, your kid's life, or whatever that interruption would would need. And so Jesus was the same way that when he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, he invites his disciples to stay there. And then he invites three of them, Peter, James, and John, to come a little bit farther with him. So here's what happens. That event in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus knew the importance of the task that he was about ready to embark on. So did Satan, for that matter. And so as Jesus went away to pray, one of the Gospels says that that he became so intense in prayer that his sweat was like drops of blood, which is actually a metal condition where those capillaries right at the surface of your skin break because of the intensity and the stress you're under, which tells us what Jesus was going through. And as he talks about this cup of suffering, he knew that in that cup wasn't just a nice beverage, in fact, just the opposite was the punishment that your sins and mine and the people of the past and the present of his day and everybody from his day to our day and everybody in the future was wrapped up in this cup of suffering. And it's certainly reasonable to ask his heavenly father one last time and said, if there's another way to do this, I'm okay with that. Because if you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew you were going to die on a Roman cross, would you not perhaps seek, is there another way to do this? But Jesus ends that and says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And really the spiritual battle that Jesus was embarking was, am I going to continue along the path of my Father's will? What Satan was trying to do is get Jesus to distract from the will of his Father because he knew that if he could get Jesus away from the cross, he would get us away from heaven. 
And so the intensity of that battle, Jesus knew. And he knew that he needed his father's support. He knew that he, even from a human standpoint, wanted his disciples' support. And he says, watch and pray with me. And as Jesus is embarking on the intensity of this evening and the next day in regard to his suffering, he knew that failure was not an option. And he sought the strength of his father, and he sought the strength of his close friends. He says, watch and pray. He goes away and prays, and he comes back to Peter, James, and John, and they're sleeping. Now, I kind of chuckle at that because I can remember back to my childhood when I was sitting in a pew like you are tonight, and I've already seen a few yawns, and that's okay because I remember you, got, you had that Lenten meal. It was the end of a, a day, whether you know, it was school, sports practice, whatever. You came in, and you heard your dad drone on for 20 minutes. I mean, that might, no, he was a good preacher. I was just tired, and I remember struggling to stay awake for that one hour of a Lenten service. So if you're struggling tonight to stay awake, you can relate with Peter, James, and John. You're like, I'm awake, I'm awake. If you fall asleep, it's okay. I know it's been a long day. Here's what you tell me afterwards. Pastor, I wasn't sleeping. I was just focusing really hard. I had someone tell me that once, by the way. (laughs) But we get it, right? From a human standpoint, I mean, think of what the disciples had been through in their day, right? They knew the intensity of of the, the, the time with Jesus and the preparation of the Passover meal. They just got finished with the Passover meal. Jesus had done the feet washing, all this, this teaching, etc. probably late into the evening. They get out to the garden. It's dark out there. Jesus says, sit here, <laughs> right? He maybe should have said, run around the block a few times. I don't know, just sit here. You know how that is from a human standpoint. Jesus says, I get it, disciples. Your spirit is willing. Peter and James and John I'm sure didn't sit down and go, hey, you know, as soon as Jesus leaves, let's just crash because I'm wiped out. How about you, James? You know, it's like they, they weren't thinking that way, right? None of you came tonight and said, maybe some of you did, so you came tonight and said, you know what, I just can't sleep at home. I got to go to church and get some sleep. We don't think that way, right? You're here, I, the Spirit is willing, right? If we were there with Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm there, I will watch and pray with you, The Spirit is willing. But Jesus knew his disciples. He knows you and me. And he says the body, the flesh, is weak. And is that not the struggle of our sinful nature and our spirit-driven nature? We want to watch and pray. We don't want to fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. What amazes me in this interaction is Jesus came back to his disciples and he goes, forget it, I can't count on them. But he didn't do that, right? He could have dismissed them and said, if this is the kind of friend, I I have included you in my inner circle, if this is how you're going to be when I need you most, I'm not going to be there when you need me most. But that's not how he acted. In fact, he woke him up and he didn't make it solely about him. Yes, he wanted their support. He wanted their prayers. He craved their prayers. 
But again, as Jesus is so apt to do, even in the midst of his suffering, to say, Peter, James, and John, I'm concerned about you. So here's my word to you and his word to us tonight. Watch and pray for this purpose so you don't fall into temptation. Because what did Jesus know about Peter? Peter said, I will never deny you. Jesus, I am right there with you. Even if I have to go to the cross with you, I am sticking with you, Jesus. Jesus knew that the temptation would be too great for Peter. Three times, I don't know you. He calls down curses, I don't know you. A third time, I don't know you. The rooster crows. Peter knew the spirit was willing. The flesh was weak. The gospels say all the disciples fled. James and John included. Now, John kind of trails back to see what was going on. He had an in with the high priest. We don't know exactly where James went that rest of that night. Jesus knew those three, the rest of his disciples, that temptations were real. Satan was working hard, not only on him, but on his followers. And so he says, look it, here's my guidance. Here's my wisdom. Here's the truth for you. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Now, let me just briefly unpack those, those watch, pray, and temptation. And how do they fit together? And how does that work for us? Because we know that Satan wants to pull us away. And he says, the more I can get you to follow my will, the more you will be distanced from your heavenly Father's will. And the farther he can get us away from our heavenly Father's will and trust in him and his word of truth, he knows that our eternity is going to be with him and not with our Savior Jesus. And the Spirit of God that is at work within us says, I don't want to go that way. The Spirit is willing. I don't want to go that way. I want to walk with my Savior. I want to trust Him more. I want to follow the word of truth, etc. And so here's what Jesus says. Watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. The watch word has an idea of vigilance. And go back to that military analogy. That when those soldiers are in a combat zone, their vigilance has to be great because their vulnerability is great. Right? When they're back in the United States in their homes, they don't have to be as vigilant because that enemy that they were against overseas was not there. But when your vulnerability is great, your vigilance has to be great. Think spiritually in your own heart. I don't know what it is for you. But Satan knows. Satan knows where the hole in your armor is. And he knows how to get you when you're not watching. You know what I mean? It's like maybe temptations come to you when you are all alone sitting behind your computer screen. Maybe Satan knows that your chink is when you're scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, etc., and someone says something, you fire off some sarcastic words, you fire off some mean words because you're hiding behind your screen and behind your text messages or whatever. Maybe the hole in your armor is when you're at work and someone triggers your emotions and you fly off the handle or maybe in your homes with your spouse, etc., your kids. Maybe your chink in your armor is thinking that you know better than your mom and dad and it's like, who are they to speak into my life? Who are they? They don't know anything. You see, Satan knows where our chink in our armor is. And we step back from those situations, none of us say, hey, I'm really glad I did that. That was great, right? The Spirit says, 
no, I didn't want to do that. How come I keep falling into that? And we recognize the weakness of our sinful flesh. And Jesus says, watch, be vigilant, because where you're vulnerable, you have to be vigilant. And then he says, pray. To me, in this, in this context, prayer is a bit like, again, if you're in a military setting, prayer is your reinforcements, your backup. How many times do you engage in a temptation and say, I got this, that we even forget that our Heavenly Father is right there and He says, watch and pray. Pray is like calling in the reinforcements saying, Father in heaven, I'm being tempted right now and I don't know what to do. I need your help. That's what Jesus did, right? He set that example. He did it perfectly in our place when we fail to do that. And he says, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. To not use it as a last resort and go, which I find myself like, that's right, I should have prayed about that and I probably wouldn't have fallen into that. You ever have that happen? Jesus says, watch, be vigilant where you're vulnerable and pray, call in the reinforcements, call in the backup for this purpose so that you don't fall into temptation. Now, let me just share, because in the, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray this petition every time we pray, lead us not into temptation. Martin Luther said this about that petition. He said, God surely tempts no one to sin, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us or lead us into false belief, despair, and other great and shameful sins. And though we are tempted by them, we pray that we may overcome and win the victory. A temptation, to some degree, is spiritually neutral. A temptation is a test. Those of you in school, I'm glad I'm done with those whole exam thing, test things, but God bless you as you take them for the next 20 years, however, wherever you're at in school. But a temptation is kind of like a true or false question. There's either God's way or my sinful, selfish Satan way. When that event is presented to us, it's a temptation. And we struggle, do we, what is God's way and what is my way? And sometimes we just take my way because it feels good, it, it seems like the right thing, etc., and we don't seek God's way. And when we say, lead us not into temptation, we're really praying, keep us in your will, Father. Keep us away from the flesh that is weak. I love this scripture in 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, uh, actually 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You ever quoted this passage? I think it's one of those passages we half quote. God won't give you more than you can bear. True-ish. It actually says he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And sometimes when we're bearing a heavy load, there is a lot of temptation, right? To get angry at God, get, walk away from God, get angry at others, etc. He says, you will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But here's the second part that we ought to quote just as well. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out. You know what my problem is with temptation? I don't look for a way out. 
And whatever I'm going through, I say, what? That kind of felt good. I know it wasn't God-pleasing, but it kind of felt good. Instead of looking for the way out. You know, any, again, I, I, I don't speak from personal experience, so if, if some of you uh, need to correct this or not, but the military people I've spoken with is when you go on a mission, you also know what your escape is. You know what your way out is. Ideally, the way out is achieving the victory, is achieving the objective. But they usually have a backup plan, too, that if things don't go right, there's a way out. And I love this scripture. I love Jesus' teaching in the Garden of Gethsemane because he says, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. He warns us, the body is weak, but the spirit is willing. In the scripture in 2 Corinthians, there's a way out. What is that way out? Ask your father for reinforcements. Know the word of truth from the scriptures. You might even go back to your baptism, which says, I'm a child of God, and I'm one of his. I have that power. I have that strength. The Spirit came and lived in me. We don't face temptation on our own. Jesus didn't face his suffering and death on the cross on his own, but he faced it with his Father. We don't have to go through life facing life on our own especially facing temptation on our own. And these three words of truth are what Jesus gave us tonight to face temptation. Watch and pray. Know your flesh is weak, but know the Spirit is strong. And with the Spirit is strong inside of you, and you know your Father is there right beside you, when temptation comes your way, you can say, no, I am not going that way, but I'm going the way of my Father. Jesus did it perfectly for you and for me. He picks us up when we fail. When we fall asleep, he comes over to us, reprimands us a little bit. Couldn't you watch with me one hour? But then gives us direction. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. These are God's words of truth for you tonight. Amen.